Welcome to the Ivy Church podcast. For more podcasts and information about Ivy Church, go to ivychurch.org. So I was really excited when Ben contacted me a week or so ago and said, I want you to speak on the subject of apprentices. Um, whole thing about how we learn from one another, how we can pass on uh, skills and attributes to each other, characteristics, how we learn in the church to be apprentices or, or disciples of Jesus and how we grow together in that environment. So I just want to quickly start by reading a, a dictionary definition of apprenticeship. What is apprenticeship? An apprentice is a system of training, a new generation of practitioners of a trade or a profession with the on-the-job on training, often accompanied by study, classroom and reading. That's the bit we don't really like, the, the, the reading, the studying, the commitment to the whole process. But that is a dictionary definition of apprenticeship. Of course, the Bible takes it into a different kind of dimension, building on that and adding in the Holy Spirit's empowerment, spiritual gifts, the way in which we sharpen and learn from one another. A few years ago, I heard the fr a phrase that I really liked. Somebody said, we need to be lifelong learners. So I don't know about you, school isn't a place where we leave school, we stop learning, is it? Uh, college or university, for those of us who've been, isn't a place where, where we finish that, we finish our learning and we move into life. No, we're lifelong learners. So there's always something new to learn. There's always a new skill to learn. There's always more to God we need to know about, isn't there? There's, there's more things we need to learn and grow and develop in. So we're lifelong learners. There comes a point in our development where we may have something to teach another person. We do this naturally as parents, as grandparents. We, we can either do it well or do it badly because children learn by imitation. How many of us know that? How many ki people's kids have said embarrassing things that they've heard you say at home? I'll give you a quick story. When our girls were little, uh, we had a babysitter who came from round the corner. She, her name was Pat, lovely Christian lady from the church. And uh, she was going to Weight Watchers because she felt that she was a little bit overweight. And we said to our girls, when Pat is in the house, please don't mention anything about weight, about food, about needing to lose weight or being on a diet or anything like that. And we rehearsed it with them over and over again because we, do, we don't want to make Pat feel uncomfortable. So she comes to the house. And they're watching TV together. And an advert comes on the, on the television about Weight Watchers, about dieting. And the girls turned to her and said, oh, are we allowed to talk about diet and weight watching and food? Because our mum's instructed us not to say anything to you about being fat. I'm like, please, 
when you say things in the home, kids copy and imitate. And, you know, we, we, we are good mentors, whether we like it or not. So we're lifelong learners. And then we move into a phase of teaching others, teaching other people our skills and our gifts. Now, how many of us know that being an apprentice, being on the receiving end of somebody's uh, teaching or mentoring is not always an easy or a comfortable process? Let's look to the screen. It took me ages to find a clip on YouTube that we didn't have to bleep any, any bad language out of. But I like that one anyway because of the whole confusion about kosher and everything else and the guy that does the sign of the cross on his way into the, to the interview. Um, and that is a kind of very ruthless end of apprenticeship, isn't it? Motivated by the desire to make a lot of money, which isn't a bad thing. Motivated by um, uh, our... Anyway, anyone? Anyone got a boss like that? Give me away. Put your hand down, Ben Jeffrey. <laughs> Did Frank have his hand up? up? No. Does any of you have a boss like that? You can't admit it in this room because the boss might be sitting on the same row, right? Um, so there's a ruthlessness. There's a kind of um, attitude of almost motivation through fear. If I don't, some of you may be feeling like this in the workplace. You know, if I don't uh, work, get in the office a little bit earlier, if I don't really try and impress the boss, he's going to overlook me in that whole promotion thing. Um, maybe even get rid of me to replace me with somebody else. There's a whole ruthlessness about the world's apprenticeship. Uh, we can learn something from it but there's a, a better way isn't there there's a better way of encouraging and spurring one another on so bosses can be like that creating that culture of fear payment by results setting targets improving knowledge and skills but we learn by imitation and I love this I've been doing some work recently with um, the learning institute they're called um, based in, in the southwest of England and um, looking at setting up some um, academies called the Matt Cornerstone Trust and looking at learning. And I was at a conference with these guys a few months ago and this head teacher from Cornwall was giving us a lecture and he was talking about how children, how little children learn, and you will all know this well. Who as parents have taught their children how to walk? how to speak. They just learn it instinctively. They learn it by imitation. But the shocking statistic is that by the child, time a child goes to school at the age of about four or five, their ability to learn drops massively uh, because they're not just learning by that imitation anymore. They're learning uh, by being taught which they can switch on and off from. So we've got to create the kind of environment where people can learn. Now, I want to uh, say that a lot of this is to do with um, the, the type of um, gift mix that you have. This is to do with the, thing, the motivation that gives us that motivation to be a good apprentice. 
to do with your personality, it's your gift mix, it's the interests that you have in life, it's the level of motivation that you have. And just to illustrate this, I want to bring forward a member of our congregation. And Daniel, my lovely assistant, is going to bring forward the stools. And um, I'm going to invite um, the lovely Emma Varnum to come up. And she is going to tell us a little bit about one of her skills that she's learned, that she's honed. And she is going to attempt to teach me how to crochet this morning. Okay, so Emma... Lovely to have you here with Thank us today in our studio. <laughs> It's like uh, the Generation Game, isn't it? It is a bit like the Generation Game. And um, Emma, not only is Emma the head of Stronger Communities for Tameside Council, not only is she an amazing wife to Robert and mother to Benjamin, but you don't know what I'm going to say now, do you? She's actually looking absolutely more petrified than I'm going to be when you try and teach me how to crochet. But she is also a beautiful, uh, talented, creative lady who does crochet, the art of crochet, don't you? Yeah. Let's just have a quick look at some of her work. And we've got the basket here as well, that the live samples. You know, she's quite famous. What are some of the publications you've appeared in? So, um, uh, a lot of magazines, and I am um, sort of resident designer for um, British knitwear designer um, Debbie Bliss. So, um, wow. And um, yeah, so there are lots of, I tend to design for magazines or um, yeah. designers. I think we've got somebody from our church wearing one of your pieces, which was, oh, <laughs> who recognizes this guy? Had to pay a lot for that model. You had to pay a lot. <laughs> wow. So I want to ask you two quick questions. Who inspired you? Um, I think probably my mum, before she passed away, was a great inspiration. That's probably internally where I get um, yeah. my drive. I was inspired by Debbie Bliss, and um, and just uh, there's a number of people that um, are creative, and it doesn't have to be. It wasn't necessarily crochet. It was just being people who pursued their passion and did it. Yeah. And um, so. Um, yeah, I think that's probably... It's lots of creative people, but people who really, you know, took it and, and tried to do something really exciting with it. Right, so how long did it take you to learn? So, from childhood, I've been able to knit. So wow. That, um, and I was a very hip student and did a lot of, like, needlework <laughs> during my university phases, so I never gave that up. Yeah. And then probably... When the, the Stones had their baby, Harry, who's now um, much older, I was really inspired to, to knit for him. And then um, it's really seeing things you want to make and going, I want to make that. So I've got to do it. Right, who thinks Emma can teach me how to crochet? Let's see a show of hands. Who thinks she can do that? Who thinks it's not going to happen? She's not... <laughs> Your son, Benjamin, was so sweet earlier on because I said to him, um, do you think mummy can teach me how to crochet? And he, and he went, mmm. And I said, be honest with me. And he went, yeah, I think so. <laughs> so sweet. Come on then, let's So I want you to have Thank that you. piece of wool. I want you to have that crochet hook. Yes. There's nothing more devastating than seeing yourself on widescreen. I just want to say that. 
Okay. Um, and um, usually I have my nails what done am I doing? so close what am I doing? work. Okay, so notice. You do need to be behind me. So there's a, like, preach it, sister. You need to look I, up, look. I would love to be behind you. No, no, no. Well, okay, so, no. Just Not that far there. behind. Just get close. Yeah. Okay? Yeah. So we're going to make a slip knot. Okay? Oh, I don't so, even know how to do that. So put this in your right hand. Okay. Put, sit on I've your stool. I've got to hold the wool and put this yeah, in the right no, hand. Yeah, no, sit on your stool. Sit on my stool. I run a very tight ship. Right, put this down there. There's a lot running on this for me. I don't like it already. Okay. So What am I doing? Right, I want you to make a slip knot. Just hold that in there. Yep. At the same time. Two right. fingers. Two fingers. Right. And then push this piece of yarn through the hole. Right. Okay, notice yep. how we're both shaking. <laughs> <laughs> both of us then, yeah. right? And pull it up so you made a slip knot. Whoa, well done. Is that done. right? Yes. Woo! Right. And then I want you to put that, that loop on yep. your crochet hook. Yep. And then pull down on that long piece. You're a yeah. very good teacher. Right. You are yeah. actually very good. Okay, so now we're going to make a chain stitch. Okay, so what I'd like you to do is hold your yarn. Yeah. That's it. And I want you to hold... That's it. Right, so hold that on there. I can't because I'm shaking too. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'm shaking too. Okay, so what I'd like you to do is just to put the yarn over the hook. That's it. And then I'm going, you're going to pull it through the, the oh, loop. Okay? Yeah, that's the hard one. It, it is the hard bit. But notice how I'm... This finger here and this thumb is pulling this down, so it's creating tension. Right. Okay, you've got it a bit taut. It's going to be hard for you. Hang on. And I'm like, that's it. Okay, so over and then pull it through. Can you see? Okay, you've done one stitch. <gasps> yeah. Thank you. I think that's probably all it we're going to be able to do because I think I'm a hopeless case. <laughs> Right, I wanted to do that because... So who was right then? The people who thought I was going to be able to do it. I'm sorry, you're wrong. <laughs> and actually, technically, technically... Let's give a round of applause to Emma Varnum. She was amazing. Technically, I can learn that skill, but practically, I'm probably not going to be able to. Now, let me give you an example. Frank has tried to teach me how to use the remote control for the television a thousand times. He has shown it to me. He has explained it. He has done everything to encourage me. And I just, I just can't, I just seem to have an inability to learn it. Why have I got an inability to learn it? Shout out, let's help get somebody with a mic to help us out here. Has anybody got a mic? Daniel, can you just get a few answers? Why can I not learn how to do that simple technique of using a remote control for the TV? Come on, there's, get, give me some answers quickly. Let's go. Because it, it doesn't interest you enough. Thank you. Alison, is that? Oh, no. You know, you, you were going to say the same. Who else? Let's have... Yeah? You've got a Frank. <laughs> I've got Frank. <laughs> exactly. It doesn't interest me enough. I've got Frank. One more. Anybody else? Anything else? Those are two, probably the two main reasons. He's always on Sky Sports. <laughs> <laughs> he is always on Sky Sports, Sparky. You're dead right there. So I just, I just got him. I don't need to learn it. I, I've got a mental block where it comes to that. When emails first came out, electronic mail, 
I would have a similar kind of mental block with that. But how many of you who know me know that I'm on emails all the time, you know, around about 50 to 100 emails a day? Why? Why is it different with the mental block that I had about the remote control to the same mental block that I should have about electronic mail because technology doesn't come easy to me? Adam Firth is smiling, knows what I'm talking about here. Why? Why, why is there a difference? Why, can, why have I mastered that skill? Connected to people. You're all very got up early this morning and really, really. Now, let, let's say who's heard, because it's connected to people, because it's something I was passionate about, because it was something I really wanted to do. I overcame my mental block and I learned that skill. You, you've probably all heard of the model um, of how we learn in the apprenticeship model. It's, um, I watch you do something that you're skilled at, and then... I go with you and you watch me do that skill while I'm learning it. And then the third stage is I just do it on my own. That is a principle that you've probably all heard of that's at work. Let me give you an example of Daniel Eduardo. A, few, a while ago, church thought we need, we want some new MCs, we want some new service hosts. And we, um, some, some people were thinking and praying and thinking, let's have Daniel and, and Josh as the new service hosts. And Daniel, you've been through this process in, of apprenticeship, haven't you, where you've, you've got the natural inbuilt skill and you're a natural... Um, up, very gifted upfront leader, but you would first of all partnered with somebody else to give you that learning opportunity. And then today you're leading the service by yourself. So that whole thing, I love the verse in Proverbs, and I think it's going to come up on the screen. It says, as iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. Proverbs 27, verse 17. So a real key with apprenticeship and what we want to stretch ourselves to in church this morning is around the question, who are you spending time with? Who do you look up to in terms of things of faith? Who do you enjoy spending time with? Who, when you spend time with this person, makes you feel, I can achieve this. I can do th this. I can do great exploits for God because that person has an iron sharpened iron effect on me. It has a, a sharpening effect on me and my, on my ability to do things. And it's spending time with those people that helps you to hone that attribute or that skill. And I'm going to look a little bit at the example of Barnabas and, and challenges about the whole arena of how we are encouraging and developing those gifts and skills in one another but just quickly look at the four stage model of how Jesus does this and this is taken from a book uh, by a guy called Bill Hull who's written a book called The Disciple Making Church and Jesus employs four levels in his apprenticeship of people. Um, how many of us know that Jesus himself was also an apprentice before he begins his ministry at the age of 30? Mo we don't know very much about the ages of his childhood and his adolescence and his early adulthood because the Gospels concentrate on those three years of his ministry. But we do know that his father Joseph was a carpenter and Jesus learned the, the, 
the trade of carpentry. And I think that is really powerful. Um, we don't know all the lessons that he gained from that, but I think that's reflected in the way that he relates to his disciples. So it's a four-stage model. First is come and see. Jesus said, come and see. Um, this is about telling them what and telling them why. So come and see to enable them to learn the what and the why of his mission. The second phase, he says, come and follow me. This is about showing them how and doing it with them. So the, 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 the disciples were beginning to go with Jesus and beginning to witness his miracles, beginning to understand his teaching, beginning to see the way that he related to people, beginning to see uh, his, um, his, his commitment to prayer, how he would only do what he saw the Father doing, his ability to um, deal with conflict and how he deals with conflict. So it's showing them how and doing it with them. The third stage is come and be with me. Um, come and begin to do it. Begin to demonstrate all that I've taught you. Begin to be like me. And how many of us remember that phrase, um, what would Jesus do? Uh, disciples are thinking, what would Jesus do in this particular scenario that I'm facing in life at the moment and begin to do that? And then he's added a fourth one, remain in me. And this is about uh, remaining faithful to God once we've begun to really express our discipleship and go and make disciples and being released into the world. And then we know that he had a huge band of disciples, but there were 12 who he particularly was apprenticing. There were 12, and there were three of the 12 who were closest to him, who he was uh, really sharing his life with and beginning to show how um, to do the exploits of God. If we want to have a church, if Ivy Church wants to be a church where we achieve great things together, where we do great exploits to God, where we stretch one another's faith to learn new skills and to be all that God wants us to do in terms of discipleship, we have to create a can-do culture where everything is possible. So look at this verse in Matthew 19, verse 26. It says, with man, this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. So we're creating a can-do culture where I can encourage you, you can encourage me, and I can say, do you know what, I believe you can do this. A great place to do this will be within the grow groups. We can speak one another into encouragement. We can speak one another into possibility. We can give permission for each other to succeed. I'm sure you're already doing this already, but I want to encourage us to be like Barnabas. Now, some of us are naturally Barnabas. We, we just love people, we, we, we're kind to people, we're always saying encouraging words. Actually, it's not the whole of the church, but it's, it's a percentage of the church who have this as a natural gift. Some of us are a bit more like the Sons of Thunder and James and John, where we, we want to cause trouble in an empty house. Uh, you know, in Luke chapter 9, uh, James and John go into a village and um, they're not very happy with their reception. And they say to Jesus, can we call fire down and have everybody consumed? And Jesus says, well, no, that's not really 
my way of dealing <laughs> with this situation. But we can be sons of thunder or we could be like Barnabas who was described as a son of encouragement. And I just want to look at a few verses of Barnabas, the son of encouragement, just so that we can begin to explore this in grow groups and explore this in our own times together. In, in Acts 4, first of all, verses 36 to 37... Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, they often gave each other different names, and Barnabas, which means the son of encouragement, he sold a field he owned and brought it, the money and put it at the apostles' feet. So he's already demonstrating that his character is to give of his resources away, just like Daniel was talking about when he took up um, the offering before, that he was generous and that he was uh, somebody who was committed to the principles um, that Jesus is teaching to the early church. And then in Acts chapter 9 and verses 27, it says, Barnabas introduces Paul to the apostles. They, would been, uh, they talk about um, Barnabas took hold of him and brought him to the apostles and described to them how he had seen the Lord on the road. That's the road to Damascus where Paul is converted. And that he talked to him and how Damascus, he had spoken boldly in the name of Jesus. Now, this is huge because um, Saul was a persecutor of the church, breathing murderous threats over the church, it says in Acts. And on the road to Damascus, he has this amazing experience where Jesus appears to him. He has a vision of Christ. The whole road is lit up with glory of God. He goes on his knees and he basically converts to Christianity, converts to being a follower of Christ. Uh, He then meets Barnabas and Barnabas gets the job of introducing this guy who's been murdering Christians to the other apostles. And you think they're going to be a little bit suspicious? Do you think they're going to be so welcoming of Saul, who's now become Paul and who becomes the leading apostle, planting churches all over? Without Barnabas and with that encouragement and with that ability to introduce him and vouch for him, we wouldn't see some of the amazing things that we see Paul doing. And then let's look quickly at Acts 11, verses 22 to 24. The news about them reached the ears of the church at Jerusalem. They sent Barnabas off to Antioch. When he arrived and witnessed the grace of God, he rejoiced and began to encourage them all with resolute heart to remain true to the Lord. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, and considerable numbers of people were brought to the Lord. So he has a part in the success of uh, Paul and his partnership with Barnabas in making disciples, bringing people to Christ. And that's the kind of church we want to be. I'm going to skip over the next verse. And I just want to look at a quick summary then of Barnabas. And this is something that you can impact more, uh, unpack more in your own time. Um, a few things about Barnabas. He walks with the Lord. We've seen he's got a faithful character. He remains an outstanding character throughout his ministry. He serves the local church, the agenda of the local church. He remains faithful to the call of God that's on his life. Uh, I'm hoping that each one of us is thinking, how, how can I uh, be uh, a Barnabas as I'm reading this list out? He shares the gospel regularly. He raises up other leaders. He encourages with speech and actions. 
not just with speech, but with speech and actions. And he responds appropriately to conflict. Um, we can't explain all of that right now this morning, but you see in the number of times where there is a conflict in terms of the team who are going about church planting, and Barnabas brings that soothing word and that word of encouragement to enable that to happen. So in response then, I'm calling us to think about how do we create a can-do culture at Ivy, a culture of encouragement where we're all learning from one another. Um, how can we uh, provoke one another into the great exploits that God has for us as a church? Um, in grow groups, I've suggested that's a place to start with the people, your prayer partners, with the people that you look up to in the Lord, your mentors. Help them, give them the permission to speak into your life. So we learn these natural skills um, by imitation, but the supernatural can be caught. The supernatural empowerment of God, and I want to finish with this, we can move from imitation to impartation. Because when the Holy Spirit gets involved, even I can learn a new skill quite quickly if the Holy Spirit has put a calling on my life for that. And I want to use the example to finish with of church planting. Because I was just reading the example of how Elijah mentors Elisha. And I want to read it to us from 2 Kings 9, verses 9, sorry, 2 Kings 2, verses 9 to 14. Just as the worship band come up, we're just going to begin to respond to God about how the Holy Spirit wants to give us a double portion in terms of the exploits that he's calling this church to. So it says, when they had crossed over, Elijah said to Elisha, what shall I do for you before I'm taken from you? Elijah has been mentoring Elisha. Elisha, the younger man, said, please let me have a double portion of your spirit. He said, you have asked for a very hard thing. Nevertheless, if you see me when I'm taken from you, it shall be for you. But if not, it shall not be so. As they were going along and talking, a chariot of fire appeared with horses of fire, which separated the two of them. Elijah went up by a whirlwind to heaven. Elisha saw it and cried out, my father, my father, the chariots of Israel and his horsemen. Elijah, he saw no more. Then he took hold of his own clothes and tore them in two pieces, a sign of um, sorrow, bereavement. He also took up the mantle of Elijah, his cloak. It fell from him and he returned and stood by the bank of Jordan. He took the mantle of Elijah, struck the waters. Where is the Lord, the God of Elijah? And when he struck the waters, they divided here and there and Elisha crossed over. If we could just stand together to respond. I believe when I was praying about this, the Lord really put on my heart the um, vision of the New Thing movement and the vision of Ivy to begin to plant churches as Paul did with Barnabas. How many people are really intrigued by the verse where Jesus says to his disciples, you will do greater things than these? 
That's one of the hardest verses in the Bible to understand. Jesus who raised Lazarus from the dead. Jesus who walked on the water. Jesus who healed the sick. Jesus who prayed over some food and a little bit of food and multiplied it and it fed more than about 10,000 people. How is it that Jesus says you will do greater things than these? Now, this is something I've heard somebody else say I find really, really powerful. It, It may not be greater in terms of quality because, to be honest with us, how many of us have ever raised anybody from the dead? It is possible, actually, some people around the world have seen that happen, but it's a bit rare. But greater in terms, not of quality, quality but of quantity there was only a few hundred Christians around when Jesus goes back to be with the Father a handful of people mainly in Jerusalem do you know how many Christians there are in the world today 2.2 billion all doing the exploits of God all over the world greater things So I just believe the Lord is just calling us into courage. He's calling us into a place of encouragement to encourage one another to reach the goal of reaching others for Christ. Thanks for listening. For more podcasts, go to ivychurch.org forward slash media.